This is Pastor Brian Wolf. You're listening to Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Here's our last conversation with Pastor Flammy, talking about everything you need to, to know, everything you need to be to be ready for the apologetics task. This is a great conversation because Pastor Flammy and I circle back around to the fact that when you have the Ten Commandments and the Creed, you have everything. You don't need anything more. You're ready for this. And we looked at the spiritual aspects of the apologetic argument. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Here we go. All right, welcome to Cross Defense. How are you? Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Churches, I should say, in Austin, Texas. Inviting you to come and join us. Visit when you're here in town. Austin is a great place to be, especially since it's cold everywhere else in the world. Walking around with short sleeves today. I have uh, joining me on the... Well, this is Cross Defense, where we ignite your theological curiosity. That's what we're after. We want to talk about... We want to talk about the Lord's Word in such a way that it... It settles into our hearts and consciences and our imaginations and becomes there a defense against the assaults of the devil. So we're going to talk about today with our concluding our series on Christian apologetics with Pastor Brian Flammy of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, or at least concluding this round of conversations with Pastor Flammy. Pastor Flammy, how are you? Uh, it's cold here today. <laughs> see, I told you. It's I I well, I got up uh, this morning and I looked to see what the weather was going to be, and it said like nine degrees or something. I said what? And then I realized it was from Aurora, Colorado, not from Austin, Texas. And I thought, wow. Let me flip over to Austin, Texas, and see sixty-five or whatever for the low. It's fantastic. Anyhow, uh, sorry, it's so cold there. We got to warm it up with this conversation about apologetics. This is kind of a including send off and i i actually want to start the conversation where you finish your notes because when we hear apologetics a lot of people think wow that's the what that's for the expert that's for the brainiac so that's for the is brainiac still a word is that dating me that's for the uh, uh brainiac the is scientist uh, an acceptable term in my parlance so feel oh, free God. okay that's for the that's for the smarty pants uh i'm just a you know your normal christian i'm just gonna hang around here and Study the normal My stuff friend, in the Bible, nothing, but... Th there's nothing normal about you. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thank you. Oh, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the people that feel intimidated by apologetics, and to them, we have to say, yeah. hey, look, you have everything you need when you have the simplicity of the catechism. Really, the Ten Commandments and the Creed gives you all that you need for a, a healthy apologetic. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're you're right. I I agree with you, and I think um, I'm really grateful in just in our conversations together uh, for you helping me to to see this and to especially take it to heart. Um, it's interesting when you look at the apologetics proof text in the Bible. It's First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. That's the word apologetic to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So if I'm a really brainiac person, or how do you say that? A really smarty pants person? Yeah, I might mean that to, uh, to me that I have to have all my apologetic ducks in a row, all the best rational arguments, all the evidences at my fingertips. And if I don't, then I'm not doing my Christian duty. And, and, uh, and as you pick up one apologetics tome after the next, you, 
you're quickly bewildered by just the wealth of information that's out there. And mastering one argument is, is daunting enough. Imagine trying to master dozens of them or hundreds, thousands even, I bet. But of course, the hope that St. Peter is talking about, the hope is, is the hope of the resurrection, right? And so, and so what St. Peter is envisioning here is that when somebody comes to you who knows nothing of Christ and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body, and they see the Christian, you, uh, going to a funeral, perhaps, and instead of weeping with unrestrained sadness over the fact that something has been forever lost, or maybe you you try to cover up the loss through uh, some vague celebration of life, right? Instead, the the Christian is able to face the death and then to say straight into into the teeth of death, I'm not afraid, and in fact, I have victory over you. And that is incredible hope, hope that, I, no, it is credible hope. I keep on using that word wrongly. Uh, it, it, that, that's, that's really great hope that the world knows nothing about. And so it, they want to know why you're able to sing hymns at a funeral. They want to know how you're able to go to the graveside uh, with sadness and tears, of course, but also with joy. Uh, and then you have the opportunity not to lay out before the, the person who questions you about Christian hope, uh, various arguments for for God's existence or something like that. No, instead you're going to go straight to the fact that I know that death is defeated in Jesus' resurrection. And I know that my Savior has defeated death because he has paid the price for sin fully through his death on the cross that atones for the sin of the whole world. I love that in, in, in thinking of our hope in that way because it gets us straight into the heart not just of a rational argument, but, but of the Holy Scriptures and the preaching of the gospel where you have the Holy Spirit and, uh, and where the Spirit is, there is the efficacy to create uh, uh, faith, saving faith, and, and, and the people who hear about your hope. That's fantastic. And, and this, this I, you, you uh, painted a picture for me on this, Pastor Flammy, that this hope... This simple doctrine, but this, not even just the doctrine, this faith in these, in the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that he, his resurrection that he shares with us. He's, after all, the first fruits of the resurrection, and we follow. This becomes like a bulwark that protects both the mind and the heart and the conscience. So this, under, this is understanding apologetics much less like a argument going back and forth, like a debate. You know, we, we often think of it like um, like you go to a debate competition and someone's going to win or lose because they're going to be able to make the most subtle points and and make the cleanest distinctions or whatever but you see this more like an assault uh like the devil throwing flaming darts of doubt and confusion and hopelessness and despair and guilt and all this and oh yeah really that's that's the christian under spiritual understanding of apologetics but we stand safe and guarded when we stand in the promises of God, in His Word, mm-hmm. which gives us both wisdom and comfort and faith. Yeah, it's not merely uh, rational argumentation that's going on back and forth. Uh, that's what it looks like on the outside. <laughs> but really, underneath it all, if you, if you really press uh, the issue with why someone doesn't uh, fear God anymore, you know, uh, is the, the reasons are often more often uh, they have to do with some kind of uh, an attack upon their conscience, uh, that they desire something that's beyond God's law, and instead of reconciling themselves with the fact that I have sinned, they, 
they instead desire to dispense with the fact that there is a God who is a lawgiver, <laughs> right? And then they'll come up with these ad hoc arguments to, to establish what they've already determined in their heart to be the case, which is, I desire my sin more than I desire uh, the, the, the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation that God gives me through the gospel. Uh, so this is the way that, uh, that you and I have talked about this in the past, that you have uh, the, the, the hyper-intellectual and philosophical way of, de- of, of looking at apologetics, and certainly it, it is appropriate and right to, to look there, because I think that a lot of people who ask those sorts of questions and argue back and forth are doing so genuinely. Uh, but, for the, but for the most of the other people that you meet in your life, when they doubt God's existence, when they don't fear him, uh, when they, uh, uh, if they doubt God's goodness, right, or his justice or his mercy, uh, it's, it's not really rational. Uh, they, they haven't worked out detailed arguments uh, according to reason. Instead, they're arguing from their hearts. They're arguing from a heart that's, that's kicking against the law more often than not. And if that's the case, then, then you as a, as a Lutheran are in a very excellent position to help clarify who God is, both according to the law, uh, and also then to, to show them the purpose of the law, which is to drive us to Christ and the, and the mercy that God gives us in Christ. So that the poor uh, arguments of the heart that fight against sin <laughs> could finally be overcome in, in uh, the gospel that, that, that forgives that sin. Uh, I, the- I, don't, I, I was talking to this lady today, uh, I, I woke up this morning and I felt tired, so I thought to myself, I'll drive an hour away to go study Greek or something. And, uh, and I ended up in this town called Lincoln, New Mexico. Do you know where that is? I don't. Lincoln. Okay. I didn't even, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's where Billy the Kid used to have his hideout in the hills and the caves there. Oh, uh, nice. It's right at the foot of the Capitan Mountain Range. And uh, so I, I went in there and, and sat down, drank my cup of coffee. I'm trying to study the the Reformation text of, from Matthew chapter 11. And, and this lady sits down to the owner of the place, and she, she starts telling me you know, this story about a, a granddaughter uh, who, who was brought up a Christian in a Christian church and a Christian family. The whole family was Christian. And she goes off to secular college, and it's almost as if a, a, a switch was flipped. And now she's convinced beyond a doubt, beyond any sort of a doubt, that there is uh, no God at all, right? She joined the local atheist club, and uh, it, it, and uh, nothing apparently that her that her family's been trying to say to her is, is able to work because they bring to bear a bunch of these uh, rational style arguments, uh, the same arguments that you and I have been I, looking at over the past five weeks or so, and and the family was was so daunted by these kinds of pseudo-intellectual, poor, uh, uh, atheistic arguments against both God's existence or the justice of God himself, that they, said, they just gave up the argument. And they said, well, you, you obviously know more about these things than us, and we just won't engage with you. We'll, we'll, we'll hope that you change your mind. Uh, and so, that's, so this is what the grandmother said, that, that uh, the whole family just decided not to, to engage with her, instead just to because she was surpassed them somehow by going to college, by hearing all these arguments. Uh, the best thing to do, though, is, of course, first to pray, because God is able to accomplish 
those uh, you know wonderful things through through hearing our prayers and and uh, using means that are not at our immediate disposal but are at His disposal. I mean, salvation belongs to Him. Uh, but also, the, the the next best thing that she and her whole family could do is just to to speak clearly uh, the Holy Scriptures to remind uh, uh, this this granddaughter of of just exactly what she has left behind using the very words that Jesus says are full of spirit and truth. Uh, the, and those are the words that are finally going to break down the, the, the false intellectual walls that I think that a woman like that would have put up uh, for, for reasons that, you know, I seriously doubt are purely intellectual. And so, you know, allowing the law to work according to its purpose and, and then uh, uh, listening for the opportunity <laughs> when the law has done its work. And, and the acknowledgement of sin is made to speak the comforting words that will give uh, Christian conviction and faith, right? Which comes not by reason or strength, as we learn in the third article of the Creed, but by the Holy Spirit's work alone through the gospel, through the word. This I've been working on this picture, Pastor Flamy, that just to, trying to get my head around this move that we make. So, so kind of the... Oh, but, but actually, before I do that, what did you tell this lady? Did, is that the advice that you gave to her, to this grandma, the owner of the cafe? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so I, I said to her, look, the, the only thing that we have as Christians uh, is, is the Word, is the Holy Scriptures. And if we, and if we uh, uh, think to ourselves that we can't master the intellectual nuances of the latest atheistic arguments to justify their godlessness, that's fine. Because we still have the word which confounds all human uh, uh, wisdom, right? And, and, and so we, we, we lean on the foolishness of God, which human wisdom is going to mock every single time. And yet it is that foolishness that, is actually, uh, uh, that actually has the capacity to convert and to save. I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, and over and over in Luke, it comes up this idea uh, that you are those who would justify yourselves, and and this is so so here's the picture I've been trying to work on um is we we are by by nature justifying creatures we carry a courtroom around with us and it's the courtroom of our conscience and one of the frightful things is to recognize that we are we are guilty in that courtroom we've broken God's law we've failed to do what we ought to do and all of us in one way or another know our own failures we have access to that by the conscience and so we know that we're guilty. And so one of the things that we can do is we can, is we can try to turn the tables and, and say, hey, hey, wait a minute, I don't think this courtroom is fair. Or, hey, wait a minute, I don't think this judge is eligible to be judging me. Or, or hey, wait a minute, I don't think that, um, in, in other words, we try to take ourselves out of the judgment seat and, and, and take, and, and put and put in and step into the judge's seat, so we can say, "Hey, if I can illegitimize this judge, then his declaring me guilty won't bother me anymore." At least we try to play that game in the conscience. What, we have about thirty seconds. What do you think about that picture? Yeah, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> so uh, we we like to think of ourselves as Homo sapiens, right? Like as the the wise. The thing that that separates us from the animals is our reason or our, our wisdom. But in fact, that which separates us from the animals is to know God uh, according to his righteousness, which used to be ours inherently through 
knowing the law and doing the law. That belonged to Adam and Eve, right? And since the fall, we've been trying to justify ourselves against the law's accusations, which are rightly put against our sin. And so the way that Luther liked to describe man wasn't as wise, as wise creatures, but rather as justified creatures, hmm. creatures who encounter God through the courtroom of his word. Uh, where the, and the word uh, pronounces the verdict according to the law that, that you are condemned, but most importantly, not for our own sakes, but for the sake of Christ, uh, who enters into the courtroom with the testimony of his blood, God pronounces us to be righteous. There's no way to get at that through wisdom. That has to be preached purely as a promise. More about that and about how we know it and how we talk about it to our friends who are arguing against the faith when we come back from the, from the break. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Brian Flam is my guest. You're listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive word and sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide word and sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolf, be the here with Pastor Brian Flamey. We're talking about the courtroom of the conscience and how that plays into apologetic. Let's, Pastor Flamey, let's just press this, this understanding a little bit further because what often happens, I think this is kind of circle back to where we started with the confidence that we have from the law and the gospel. What often happens is that the Christian is approached by the unbeliever with all of this arguments or all of these evidences or all of these maybe just statements or accusations about the foolishness of the Christian faith, the non-existence of God, and, and all this, whatever, whatever it is. And the Christian um, feels like they're on defense 
like like they and God are being judged, and this person who's coming to bring these accusations is standing there making this judgment, maybe bringing the accusations like an accuser and maybe even making a judgment like a judge. And we have to realize that that, that whole setup is wrong and, in fact, a smokescreen. Because mm. we know, we know that we stand before God as guilty sinners who are forgiven and declared to be righteous and holy by the blood of Jesus. And so that we mm. have a good conscience we know that God is the judge and that he has judged us to be innocent. And we then see when someone is trying to flip around the, the courtroom, uh, trying to take the wrong seat in the courtroom, we can recognize it for what it is, an abuse, uh, a misuse, and a, and, a, and a disorderly conscience. What do you think about that? I think that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, the... the, the he, there, a judgment is going on, and, and the person who, who brings the attack against the Christian, it's as if they're reaching up into a judge's seat that's too big for them, and they're, and they're doing everything they can to climb up in there. So that sitting in that judge's seat, this miniature person <laughs> could, could speak uh, uh, against the defendant, and they imagine it standing in the defendant's place is, the, is God himself or even you as a Christian. But look, as a Christian, having the conviction of faith, uh, you know the judgments of God that have lifted you out of despair and death into hope and eternal life. And, and because of that, uh, you don't have to be afraid. That's probably the first thing to, to acknowledge. You don't have to be afraid no matter the argument, no matter what, uh, how smart your, your opponent is. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid. Instead, you should have compassion on someone who has yet to, to have gained the same comfort that you have, right? So the Christian, if anything, since we don't have to be defensive because, because we're not afraid, that it gives you the opportunity to at least listen genuinely. You know, you can listen and, and, and listen for especially how this person, this person's conscience is working and how they are using the various arguments uh, to, to justify something, especially concerning themselves personally, subjectively. And there you're going to probably find your opportunity uh, to, to speak clearly um, what it means to be judged by God. I mean, it's no small thing. We mentioned this before. Then when the first Christian apologists started working with the pagan Romans, the first order of business was to establish the correct order of judgment. Uh, so St. Paul, in speaking on the Areopagus in, in Athens, uh, when he speaks about Jesus the resurrected, he, the first order of business is that he is your judge, and he will return to judge you who have not known him. <laughs> and, and so also, uh, 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 Justin Martyr does the same thing uh, with the Roman emperor. He says that you presume to judge the Christians. You do so unrighteously. Just realize as you're giving out your unjust judgments that you yourself are judged. That is the preaching of the law, but it's a necessary preaching of the law. Uh, Josh Hayes, you know Josh Hayes, he's a translator yeah, sure. of Gerhard's works. He's been working on this forthcoming volume uh, from CPH, and it's on judge, it's on, uh, I, I think it's on like end times, or it's on uh, God's judgment or something like that, a whole locus on it, which sounds daunting. And yet, uh, 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 Pastor Hayes is, is, is very excited about this, especially for what he says is the apologetic opportunities that John Gerhard saw in, in preaching and proclaiming God's judgment. 
Uh, that, and so the, the impression I received from Pastor Hayes was that, uh, that what Gerhard saw was that in preaching and proclaiming God's judgment, you have the foothold, so to speak, uh, the breach in the wall. Uh, you have the place where the law gets to be uh, used with its full devastating power uh, to, to, to tear down all the, intellectu- the false intellectual walls that have been pu- uh, put up. If someone begins to understand divine judgment, they're beginning the fear of the Lord right? They're beginning to understand something of the first commandment. And as soon as that first commandment gains a foothold, then the whole nature of the conversation switches from being a intellectual sparring, you know, or uh, uh, how clever we, we can face off against each other. Now it's become um, a preaching of law and gospel. And you as the Christian have everything at your disposal in order to, to speak clarity into, the, into this picture of judgment. Because, 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 because. You have been learning the Ten Commandments from your youth. Uh, not only have you been uh, memorizing them uh, in catechism class, you hear your kids memorize them, and, and so you have to memorize them again. And your pastor is always preaching about the Ten Commandments in church. Uh, and when the Lutherans get annoyed when the pastor does another sermon on one of the commandments, you should, you should remind them uh, that if, if we don't have the, the, the commandments at our disposal, then who will bring them to bear on an unbelieving world? We have to be masters of the law, because only the Christians can safely handle the law. Only we know how to properly use it to convict consciences, uh, to show people the true order of judgment, that God stands in judgment over us, that we are in fact sinners, and that, that, cannot, that sin cannot be atoned for by our own works and effort. Hmm. How, how so? This is so only the Christian can use the law rightly. How how is the law misused? What's what are you thinking about there? Well, uh, the first way the law is misused is by a, is by a, a flipping upside down to the first commandment, where the this, the person himself is judge, right? And uh, all the rational arguments and all of the evidences uh, serve him in is sitting at the the peak of the mountain of his own judgment. For him to, make, is it to say, well, this seems true to me, this seems false. And he even presumes to speak those kinds of words of judgment against God's existence or God's justice or what have you. Uh, that's a misuse of the law. Another misuse of the law is to say, well, God is judge, right? This is the Pharisee's problem. God is judge, but, but, but uh, I have it within myself uh, to make at least a, a modicum of atonement for my sin. Or I have it within myself to, to transcend my sinfulness and my guilt and to begin uh, to make myself righteous in God's sight. Uh, and so those are the ways in which uh, the unbelievers will always, always misuse the law. Only the Christian can preach judgment properly. <laughs> that is, with the law's full sternness. Uh, that is, with its uh, condemning severity. Outside of how the Christians preach and proclaim the law and understand judgment, the law is never as severe as it should be. It, it, I really don't think it can be as severe as it should be. We were working on this idea yesterday because we we were th- talking about the Reformation, and one of the arguments in the Reformation was something like this. Erasmus said that if God commands it, then it must mean that we have the capacity to do it. And this idea mm. clings to, it's not just a theological idea, it is, this idea clings to our human nature. We think that we are doers of the law, and so even the most kind of staunch unbeliever is going to be is going to be almost obsessed with being a good person. I, I've never seen every single atheist essay contest I've ever heard about is 
argue that you can be an atheist and be a good person. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's an obsession with them because it's mm. an obsession with our sinful flesh about making the case for our own goodness. Uh, and, and so we see that, that if God is going to get in the, in the way, how about this? If God is going to get in the way of my own argument and the evidence that I'm presenting for my worth and my goodness, then God has to go. Because it's more important for me to be justified in my own side or the side of the world or whatever than for, for God to be true. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember reading uh, an argument very much like that when I was in college a long time ago. And I, I remember wrestling around with that question, uh, not at that time realizing the full significance of that question at the time of the Reformation, that in order for uh, a command to be truly moral— uh, then there has to be moral agency on the one who is being commanded. Otherwise, it's, it's uh, not a morality at all, but rather it's a, I don't know what you would say, an attack of some sort. Well, so be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, here's the picture it's I did. So you, morality so... that you could keep to justify yourself in God's sight. It is an attack. It is showing you to be exactly what you are. And that is, without God's uh, atonement uh, that he gives through Jesus alone, uh, you are a sinner and damned and and uh, and are rightly thrown into hell we we had this so erasmus so here so here's the picture so you got to tell me if you think this will preach here's the picture there's a uh, you drive by uh, a house and there you see in the front yard a father telling his child to dunk the basketball three-year-old kid or whatever six-year-old kid i mean it's impossible for him to he, there's no way i mean he could jump like three inches he could barely hold the basketball. And you see the father telling the ch commanding the kid, dunk the ball. And then you see him threatening the kid. If you don't dunk the ball, I'm not going to give you dinner. And you think to yourself, what an absolute tyrant. Now, that's the picture that Erasmus saw of the preaching of the Lutherans, like the, that God was mm -hmm. commanding things you couldn't possibly do. But he misses the backstory. Because ten minutes before the story that unfolded in the in the driveway, the child was inside telling his father how he didn't need him because he was the best basketball player in the world and he was going to win the slam dunk contest and go off on his own and buy an island and live on it forever and abandon his parents. And so the father takes him outside and says, well, dunk it. Dunk it then. And he gives him the command precisely to, to humble him and to, and to show him that he... He is uh, in desperate need of his father's help. So the law reveals the guilt of sin, makes us conscience-stricken. Yes. It's, yes. it's showing us our... our, our it's, it's, doing, it's doing the great... It's, it's showing us our, our own moral failures so that we can reach the, uh, the, the highest... This is a funny way to say it, but the highest good work, and that is the work of, of humility, to know that God is God and we are not. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so the Lord, uh, he loves the humble, but the proud he tears down. And the scriptures say this over and over and over again. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It says the same exact thing. Uh, when John the Baptist comes to prepare the way of the Lord by making the crooked path straight, we oftentimes think of crooked and, as a left and right crookedness as opposed to an up and down crookedness, right? So there's the, the depths of despair and there's the heights of, of human pride, which really ascend high. Uh, but the, the law comes to level the, to level the road to, to hearing the gospel by teaching godly humility, godly contrition. And that can only be obtained through a clear preaching 
of the Ten Commandments, which only the Chris, again, which only the Christians have at their disposal. All other attempts at getting at the law is going to skew it somehow to either make the law doable, so the kid thinks he can slam dunk, or to, uh, uh, or it's going to uh, uh, it convince the person if they if they wrestle around with it so much that. There's, there is no God, or that they, that they despair to the point where they think there is no such thing as reconciliation. God, is may, God might as well be dead to them. That's not what the true preaching of the law does. What it does is it shows the humility um, where you understand that you're judged and that you deserve divine wrath and punishment. Uh, but God never leaves you on the law. He always lifts you up. I was, what we were doing, you, you, they have these shows on KFUO, you know, like... Uh, Sharper iron. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever done that stuff? Yeah. The sharper yeah. iron stuff. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, sharper iron is. It, 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 they're going through uh, Amos right now, and one of the terrifying things about reading through Amos is if you only take it two verses at a time. <laughs> I promise you, every verse you're reading is about the law and God's wrath and His judgment and His burning hot anger against idolatry and lovelessness. Uh, but even Amos. It's short enough of a book that you could see it's probably just one continuous sort of a sermon. And the way it would have been preached is, is such that it ends in proclaiming Christ. So even when God is, is, is most angry, it's really just serving the greater proclamation of, uh, uh, of God himself coming in the flesh but to do what does not belong to man. But now God has to take salvation into his own hands, right? Uh, and, so as, and so when you're, we're listening to our interlocutor, as, as they're trying to, to, as they're painting the picture for us as how they see themselves in terms of divine judgment, right? Uh, we, as, as, especially as preachers and, and, uh, and as you as a uh, you know, friend or, or a family member, you have to be listening for the opportunity, yes, of course, to, to set the record straight on divine judgment, but also then when the, when the time does come, don't be stingy. The devil wants us to be stingy with the gospel, insisting in our ears that the gospel is going to be abused. He, he doesn't feel it bad enough yet. Uh, you, don't want to, you don't want to throw this pearl before this swine. Let's make sure that we stomp him sufficiently into the mud. <laughs> That's the, that road leads us down to pietism, right? And saying, you, all, you, you say that you're sorry for your sins, but you, have, you haven't shown the requisite uh, awakening to the law yet. No, no. As soon as we see that divine judgment, they acknowledge it with their lips, the reality of divine judgment. That is the time for speaking God's grace in the gospel. Uh, By the way, I'm sorry we're not talking about apologetics. I guess this is more of a discussion on the third article of the Creed or something like that. No, no, it is because, okay, so so let me bring a little apologetic in there because what, so let's just take the example of of the Mm. college kid that comes back from college convinced, for example, because they learned evolution in their biology class, that there's no such thing as God is to right. understand that that argument for evolution is not simply an argument for evolution, but it's also idolatry. <laughs> that the argument itself yeah, they found a new is God. a sin. And yeah, the new right. God isn't that, that, that this kid has gone out and has discovered all of the layers of the rock that have now convinced them of the truth. Rather, their new God is, you know, Professor Smith, <laughs> who has taken on a godlike significance in this kid's eyes. And the various books are the holy texts of this new religion. And he sees, he's, com- and he's compelled into the faith, into faith, into this new religion by seeing that all the rest of his friends just assent to it. And they confess the same creed. And he doesn't want to be left behind, understandably so. You understand how hard it is to be an outsider. 
And so before you know it, he's, he's drawn along with it. And, and here's, the, here's the other thing. I saw this great meme last week that was go- making its rounds on the Facebook. Uh, what was it? It was, the, it was a trope on Scooby-Doo where you have the mystery squad. And who's the guy with the blonde hair who's their leader? Do you know his name? Uh, Ryan. I can't remember. <laughs> well, but doesn't he look like a Ryan? He looks like a, um, a I don't Bryce. know what he looks like to me. A Bryce? A Bryce? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, that's not his name. We'll, we'll have some listener inform us later. But, but it, 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 at the end of all these Scooby-Doo episodes, they discover the monster, they pull the mask off of the monster, and you see the common, just regular dude who's underneath it, right? And on the face of this monster, it says in text, I don't believe in God anymore. And then, of course, the guy says, well, let's see who this really is. He pulls off the mask. And it says, I just moved in with my girlfriend. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the mask and is it happens. Yeah, that's right. It happens with surprising frequency. Here we thought you were having a, a genuine intellectual crisis about whether or not God can exist. And it turns out that you're grasping for any sort of uh, argument whatsoever that will justify, you know, the, the sin that you know is wrong. Like you're, you're, the sixth commandment is weighing heavily on you. And instead of, you know, going to the church and confessing your sin and being absolved of it, you're willing to even entertain the thought, well, perhaps there's no divine lawgiver to begin with. And, who, and so who is there to, to cast rocks at me? Because mm-hmm. if I want to move in with my girlfriend to satisfy my, my pleasure, so be it. And if it makes it easier to be at college at that time with the, with the godlike professor, it is, it is uh, sacred texts and in a whole classroom's of like-minded individuals who are casting off the old morality of the Ten Commandments and, and uh, you know, in a desire to fulfill their personal pleasures, uh, it, it becomes almost too great to bear up under, uh, which kind of begs the question, what are we to do with our kids who walk to college, you know? How do we well, prepare we... them to, to meet these sorts of onslaughts? Well, let's, go to, let's take that conversation up directly when we come after the break. Stephanie told me, number one, his name is Fred. And number two, oh, okay. we're out of time. So we're going to go to the break, and we'll come right back, and we'll talk about this. How do we, how do we prepare ourselves for these assaults? What does it mean to be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in us? More uh, when we're on the other side of the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. to Lutheranism is the theme for Issues Etc. Reformation Week. We'll discuss journeys to Lutheranism from Calvinism, mainline Protestantism, Catholicism, Evangelicalism, and Anglicanism with Jordan Cooper, Gene Edward Veith, Will Whedon, Brian Ketchelmeyer, and Adam Kuntz. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. 
Welcome back to CrossFence. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host, Pastor Brian Flammy. We're talking about being ready for the apologetic task, what it means to, to defend the faith. But we recognize, how about this, Pastor Flammy? We recognize that there, so there's words, biblical words for these offices of accuser and defender. And the biblical word for accuser is the word Satan. That's the one who accuses the brothers day and night before the Lord, according to Revelation 12. But then there's the word defender, which is the word paraclete. That refers to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus himself. We have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we realize that, in fact, God doesn't need defending in that way. He's the one who is our defender. And he mm. stands protecting us with his, with his word. And he can withstand all the assaults of the devil and he he guards us in fact how about this he guard he gives us the the equipment that we need the spiritual equipment to stand against all the assaults of the devil we we have that listed when we talk about the armor of god in saint paul's letter to the ephesians so it's quite beautiful so so we were talking about when we went to the break what you know what does it mean to be ready to go off to college to go off to these conversations to be open to hearing these differing opinions that are whirling around outside of us. Let's, let's kind of dive into that and, and talk about what it means as we finish this conversation. Yeah, uh, probably uh, the, the, the worst thing to do <laughs> is, to, is, is to go unprepared with regard to n knowing your own faith. Uh, this is why uh, uh, catechesis never ends throughout our lives. We're always students of the catechism. We're always learning the riches of the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Uh, because those are the walls of the fortress that are going to hold up against every single satanic attack. Even when the satanic attacks come in the form of rational arguments, we don't have to be afraid. There's enough in the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, to not only repel those attacks, but also, uh, but also to be victorious against them to the point where the people who used to be your dire enemies who try to strip you of your faith and your confidence in the Lord are, may, in fact, be the ones who are blessed by hearing of their, of their defender in heaven, of Christ. And in that way, they, they become one with us in the Holy Christian Church in confessing sins and, and being made righteous through the promise. That's fantastic. Uh, the, and, think... and after, yeah, uh, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Keep going. I'm, I'll add on it when you're done. Okay. Uh, so you, know the, so you have to know the catechism, all the ins and outs of the catechism, because oftentimes I, I, one of the things that I notice is that when, when questions are brought, to, are brought up to the Christian, so many of those questions could be diffused by just a thoroughgoing knowledge of, of the Bible, of the Holy Scriptures, of actually what we think about who God is um, as being one in essence, three in person, about who Christ is as being true God and true man. And, and if, you could, if, you, if you could get your opponent just to listen uh, with, with fascination to the ins and outs of Christianity from someone who actually knows the faith, as opposed to someone who, who once went to church a while ago, but, that was, you know, but never actually stayed in Bible class or, or uh, developed a kind of piety of their own. If you're able to keep their attention, before you know it, I think, you'll have a chance to move off of the facade of, 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 of rational argumentation to actually speak about the things that, that are going to convict the conscience and, 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 uh, and cleanse it through uh, the gospel. Uh, uh, the, one of the next things that you could do to be prepared 
I, I, I suppose is, oh, I had a whole list and I can't remember it. Uh, I'm sorry, Pastor Wolf. Anyway. There is no, it's okay. There was uh, there's something about standing there too. This idea of being in a defensive versus offensive posture, but I suppose in a way, the Bible does not present us. It 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 doesn't. The Bible sets us up to stand, neither, neither mm. to retreat nor nor to nor to attack, but simply to withstand. So there's a way that the the hope that's being given is it's being given by those who ask of us. So the so the attacks will come and and we stand there and we withstand these attacks. I think the picture is like a sentry. You're kind of you're on watch duty and you're there with your helmet and your shield and your sword and you're watching and you're listening for the enemy's attack and you're you're praying. Um, th- this is how the Lord sends us to do it. So so we don't have to be afraid. We know the attack is going to come. So we should we are not afraid. But neither are we charging out to battle looking for territory to conquer and things like this we know that the lord jesus is the one who fights for us and so we're our job is simply to stand and withstand um in the battle um that's right when it comes to to winning souls for christ and i'm glad that you brought this up um we shouldn't assume the responsibility of conquering for ourselves rather that belongs to christ and his word and especially through uh uh the, the ordered use of his word, you know. Uh, so uh, it's pleased Jesus to order his word around uh, the, the public preaching of the forgiveness of sins in the office of the Holy Ministry. It's pleased Jesus to order uh, his conquering word around the sacraments of, of holy baptism. It's, it's pleased him to order it around the, the, the sacrament of his body and blood and the promise there that this forgives you, it gives you life and salvation. And so if so if real progress is to be made in the world, it kind of falls on Jesus's shoulders and in what can be done through the preaching ministry. Um, thanks be to God that the preaching ministry belongs to us individually when we speak privately or vocationally with our friends and our neighbors and our, our, uh, and other people that we come into contact with at school. Uh, so that if they do have a convicted conscience, you can boldly and certainly forgive sins. Uh, but the main thing there is, is then to, to let Jesus do the heavy lifting, like you were saying, by making sure that uh, Christianity isn't a theory. It's not just a, a religious uh, uh, body of teachings that exists out there somewhere, but they see Christianity as it's meant to be uh, seen, that is, through the church, in the church. Uh, it'd be great. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, what you, your whole goal is to, is, is to invite someone to come and to hear the, the pastor standing in a pulpit preaching a sermon. Um, if, if this hasn't failed the, the apostles and, and the rest of the church for 2,000 years, why do we think that you know, the preaching and, and sacraments are going to fail us? So, yeah, that's, a, that's a, very, uh, a very good point. Oh, I suppose the second thing I just remembered. I'm glad that you spoke up when you did. The second thing that we could do to prepare ourselves is actually to make a habit of good works, uh, which sounds not very, I suppose, Lutheran-y, but it's still... <laughs> It's still necessary uh, that, that uh, there, there is something to the fact that our works should be above reproach um, because the world will hate. And we just want to make sure that when the world hates the Christians, it's not because of things that they can, they can hold up in, a, in front of our faces that are against the Ten Commandments. If they're going to hate us, we better make sure that they hate us for Christ's sake and his sake alone, for the scandal of his word, and not because of, of hatred against the Fifth Commandment or because of sexual immorality, or blasphemy, or any of the rest of it. 
but we kind of we have to strive to have the face of Saint Stephen. You remember how his face was like that of an angel when the uh, uh, when the members of the Sanhedrin were attacking him and threatening him. Uh, he was blameless in their sight, and and that just enraged them all the more. But so be it. They they hated him for the right reason. That was because he held to Christ alone, not because that Saint Stephen was a wicked person at all. That's fantastic. Now, how, I, I'm thinking about this, but I don't, I'm still stuck on this from like 12 minutes ago. But I, I want to, and we got to, I think we're going to run out of time here like we always do. But, but maybe, so we'll finish out on, on this kind of picture. And I think, by the way, your exhortation to good works is right. I mean, this is what Peter says in the same apologetic context. Let your, do, do so many good works that though they despise you, they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven so that the, our good works give evidence to our enemies of the faith while our mm. preaching gives evidence of our friends of the faith but but th- there's this there's a way that we look at there's a there's a way that the college kid sits in their biology class and watches their professor teach the evolution and says Jesus died to forgive that false teaching <laughs> Or, or the kid, the Christian sits in the philosophy class and thinks, Jesus died for this professor and desires to forgive this, this delusional atheism. Or that mm. the Christian watches YouTube and watches the person arguing for whatever, the problem of evil, or the atheist debating against the Christian and thinks, Jesus' blood atones for this delusional nonsense. And that puts things in perspective, I think. It puts even the, yeah, des- the it puts the arguments in the right place, and and we recognize that every person we're dealing with is a sinner that's who's died for by Christ, and every mm-hmm. argument that they're doing is a is a sinful. Uh, every argument against the truth of the of the Lord's word and His gospel is a is an act of is of of rebellion against God. That Jesus and and that is part of the reason that Jesus died. To precisely to forgive that idolatry, that argument, that unbelief. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And 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 coming from that, like I like we were trying to say before, is a is a fearlessness. Uh, there's also a generosity and love as we learn to look at uh, the fallen sinners as Jesus sees them, uh, people for whom He has died. And also, we 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 have to remember Jesus's own exhortation. Uh, that when the attacks, the satanic attacks, come in the guise of philosophy or of science or of even a progressive morality, uh, nevertheless, it is for the Christian uh, to acknowledge Jesus. And Jesus says this. This is a beautiful verse that I always take to heart in these situations from Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Jesus is saying that you, even if you don't win the arguments uh, to, the, to the point of satisfaction of, of the debater, nevertheless, if you have acknowledged Christ, you have this great, wonderful comfort. Even, even if their intellectual abilities like far outmatch yours, if you acknowledge Christ and in, and in faithfulness hold to the simplicity of his holy word, you have this great comfort of knowing that, that Christ himself is acknowledging you your name before the Father in heaven, that your name is inscribed in the book of life, and that nothing in this world uh, 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 from human reason or strength can ever take away Jesus' 
good word for you and on your behalf in heaven. Uh, and, and, and if that is true, if Jesus speaks for you in heaven, then nothing in this world can, can, can terrify you. It can move you off of the rock, which is Christ and his word. Uh, so instead of, you know, we, I suppose as Christians, we could try to take our kids out of secular contexts and secular schools. That's not always feasible, nor might it be right. Instead, if we trust in the word and the catechesis of our children, um, then we should, uh, then at some point, we have to be ready for them to stand upon Christ at his word and, and, for the, and know that they will be able to stand just as we have stood upon this certain ground that will not, that will not give way underneath us, uh, but that will be able to listen with generosity, uh, that will be able to have compassion on those who attack us, uh, and, and that will, in fact, uh, seek to speak that word of forgiveness whenever the opportunity uh, presents itself. Pastor Flammy, thank you so much. This has been a great series of conversations. I really appreciate it. Uh, your book, Apologetic Opportunism, is available somewhere. Where's that? Maybe a, you search for Apologetic Opportunism. I bet it comes up. It's on my website. I don't know if you have it on yours, but uh, we'll try to put links to that. Uh, if you go to wolfmuller.co and search for Flammy, I imagine that'll come up. I really appreciate your time and your work on this, and it's good for us all to remember Look, when we're arguing, when someone's arguing against the faith, not a, the 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 thing that Jesus is after is not just to win the argument, but in fact, to redeem the person, to with his own blood to claim them, uh, to to claim them as his own, as a sin purchased and won by his death and by his resurrection, so that Jesus would not only be our joy and our confidence, but the joy and confidence of all the world. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. God's peace be with you this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again for being a Cross Defense podcast listener. God be praised for you. If you if there was something helpful, this is the reminder, the weekly reminder. If there's something helpful here for you and you think it'd be helpful for someone you know, someone you love, then pass it on to them. It's always great to help uh, the show also if you rank and on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave comments there. That helps other people see what's going on with the show. And I'd love to hear from you. You can send me notes at wolfmuller.co slash contact. When you're there, you can sign up for Wednesday Whatnot and see all the free books, wolfmuller.co slash downloads for tons of free books uh, there as well. So take a look. Enjoy yourself. Talk to you next week.